Sunday, February the 26th. Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Great. Morning, everybody. Uh, my name's Simon. If you don't know, it's my pleasure to uh, lead the team here. And uh, we're in the middle of a, or coming to the end, actually, of a series called Feasting February. And uh, we have deliberately paused uh, at the beginning of our time today. Excuse me. Deliberately paused at the beginning of our time today just to uh, breathe a little bit and go... Something funny going on with it, isn't it? Uh, Breathe at the beginning of our time to just go, hey, we acknowledge one another. That at the end of it all, what it's about, this life that God's called us to, is to be in relationship. To be in relationship with God, to be in relationship with each other, to be seeking to reach out in relationship to those who are beyond our community. And I was just trying to orientate myself. Sometimes I get to a Sunday and I'm not sure whether the message is on point. I mean, 99.9% of the time it's brilliant, I know. And it's, and it's right there. It's an absolute bullseye. I have no doubt about that. But every now and again I'm a bit like, oh, I'm not quite sure how this kind of, how this kind of settles. Not quite sure where this fits. And kind of as we were worshiping together and all that stuff about trusting God in the, in the sadness and in the pain and trusting God when we can't see Him was just that reminder that what really matters above all else is that relationship with him and then with each other. It's, it's never, is it, what you do but who you do it with. It's never where you go but who was there with you. And I guess I just want to underline this morning, and perhaps this is, this is the emphasis now that I just sense the, the Spirit bringing. Just what I want to un- underline this morning is, is how much... God wants that relationship with us. It's easy to think that he's kind of ambivalent. There are seven billion people in the world and whether you show up or not, he's not that bothered. Remember that thought because right at the end of what I want to say, I want to hone right in on it. And I think that's a a very important part of where we're going to land uh, this morning. Think though about God's heart. Right from the beginning, he created us male and female in his image, in his likeness. And the attribute of God that was being expressed in creation is that he is a relational being. At his heart is relationship. Male and female. And therefore he made us in his image to be in relationship with him. And as we've quoted a few times uh, through this series, there's that kind of very poignant but lovely moment. It's poignant because Adam and Eve have turned their back on God. It's lovely because God comes walking in the garden seeking them out. And sometimes, because we're human beings, we see everything from our own perspective. Are you with me? That it's all about me. I'm the center of the universe and it kind of revolves around me. And we see things from our own perspective. And we think about the times that we chose God. We showed up for God. 
I've come to church twice in a row. God must be well chuffed with me. Uh, We've done something for him. Rather than stepping back and going before any of that stuff, God has done something incredible, remarkable for us. God has come towards us. And in the same way that in Genesis chapter 3, God came walking in the garden in the cool of the day, there hasn't been a moment, there hasn't been a moment in your life or mine when God hasn't come walking towards us. We might not have noticed, we might not have acknowledged it, we might not have seen him, we might have walked on by. But do you believe with me today, there's never been a moment when God hasn't come walking towards you. Can you feel that for a moment? That God hasn't come walking towards you. And so it's set in motion. A whole story of God walking towards his people. The first big uh, moment in the story was with Abraham. We sang, didn't we? The God of Abraham and the covenant. The covenant was, was to say, I want a relationship with you. And the interesting thing about the covenant that God uh, made with Abraham is normally in a covenant, there are two parties, two sides, and they each bring something to make the greater whole. With Abraham, he brought nothing, because compared to what God brings, we have nothing. And God provided everything for that relationship. It, it, again, it emphasized the, 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 the base note of God's heart to be in relationship with us. God was going to do everything, whatever it takes, give all that he had to be in relationship with us. Which is absolutely, of course, a prefiguring of the cross uh, centuries later when Jesus gave all that he had for us. His initiative. God came walking uh, towards us. And so the story begins to unfold that on every turn, the base note is of a God who comes to us seeking to know us, seeking to be in relationship uh, with us. And then I love the wilderness stories from this perspective. They go through the wilderness and what does God provide for them in the wilderness? He provides for them food in form of manna, What else does he provide? Quail. Yeah, a mixed economy. You can have, uh, you can have manna or quail. What else does God provide in the wilderness? Direction. How does he do that? The fire or the pillar of cloud. What else does he provide? Water. One more thing. What did they carry at the heart? The presence of God. Build an ark, God said. Build a a tent. Build a meeting place. What for? Let them make me a sanctuary that I may what? Dwell among them. Think about that for a moment. In the wilderness, God came looking for them. In the wilderness... God gave them his presence. In the wilderness, God said, I am here with you myself because I'm always here with you. I'll come walking in the cool of the day and I'll be with you in the midst of the wilderness. And so we get this unfolding reality that at every uh, turn, God is taking the initiative to be with his people, to be in relationship with 
them. It's partly why I think that God was a bit fed up when the people said, you know what, we want a king. God had given his very self to them. And years later, the people of Israel said, you know what, we're not sure that's enough. We'd like a king. And why did they want a king? Like the other nations, because everyone else had a king. How contemporary is that? I want that jacket. Why? Because everyone else has. I want those trainers. I want a king because everyone else has got a king. And it began to introduce a sense of separation between God and the people that God never intended ultimately. That there would in some way be these stages that, uh, and then we had the whole development of priests and the way that got reinterpreted and so on. It's another, another story altogether. But perhaps even with a king, the greatest period in Israel's life was with King David, who was described as what? A man after God's own heart. And so all of this is way back in the Old Testament, before we've talked about Jesus, before any of the stuff that we know of God's revelation and Jesus has come to us. Way back. It's a travesty, isn't it? That this faith, this God who comes to us in the cool of the day or in the heat of the wilderness, we've turned into some kind of religion about what we need to do. And I think many of us perhaps have grown up, well, it depends, I guess, on your age, but you've grown up in a culture where where kind of Christianity so easily got defined by this is what you need to do. What do you do if you're a Christian when you go to church and you say your prayers? As if it's what we do that defines our faith, rather than the fact that we've said yes to being invited into relationship with God. And of course, when we get to Jesus, Jesus makes absolutely clear from the get-go that it's all about relationship, but his baptism. At his baptism, he hears the voice of the Father saying, this is my son with whom I'm well uh, pleased. That was Jesus' identity before anything else. It was about him being in relationship with God. Nothing else makes sense without that. And so very matter-of-factly, it says very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. That was just the norm. That was just the rhythm. That was just the way that, that he responded because being in relationship with God was of first and utmost importance. That's what it was all about at the end of the day. Let's pause for a minute, shall we? Let's pause for a minute. Just center yourself for a minute. That invitation to be in relationship with God. As you hear that in your head, can you also hear it with your heart? Can you open up your heart just a little bit more to the God who invites you this morning?
Can you sense his presence? He's in the cool of the day. He's in the heat of the wilderness. He's in this moment. He's here. And so that defines something, doesn't it? That relationship defines all the other relationships. And I don't know about you, but if you were uh, about to embark on a mission to change the world as Jesus was and did, how you would have launched that particular career, that particular mission, that particular moment. Jesus, multi-talented, multi-competent, a big fanfare, a big show. But what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? The first thing that Jesus does on his mission is to gather some people around him. The first thing Jesus says is, do you know what? Whatever else is going on, it's going to be relationships that matter. It's going to be relationships that lead uh, the way. The primacy of relationship then we see not just with God, but coming from that with others. And we can easily call people to task, can't we? Call people to things that we want them to do, or uh, call people to things that need doing. But Jesus, first and foremost, just called people to be with him. Of course, there would be things to do. Life is about journeying together and getting things done. But he called people to be uh, with him. And in order to maximize those relationships, even Jesus, whose relational capacity is probably better than ours, honed in on 12 or so relationships that they might be those relationships that he journeyed through the next three years with. And it's easy for us, isn't it, in church life to think, let's get as many people together as we possibly can. And it's lovely to be here all together, isn't it? But somehow in the midst of the big, we need to find space and create moments to build those kind of relationships that Jesus modeled. Those kind of relationships where we're able, because we have the capacity to, journey together with. And so as we think about how we say yes to the invitation that God brings to us to be in relationship with him, we're also invited to think about how we say yes to being in relationship with those people who are around us, that those whom God has given us. And sometimes Jesus was even more kind of focused. There were times, wasn't it, when he, he just took Peter, James, and John away when they went up into uh, the mountain where Jesus was transfigured. And as we track the journey of Jesus, I think it's easy for us to think that he spent most of his time surrounded by the crowds. And to a certain extent, some of that was true. But what we actually see as we track the journey of Jesus is a relentless pursuit, a relentless pursuit of getting away with those core relationships to make sure that the crowd never distracted him from building depth with those around him. And that's a balance, isn't it? It's a balance that we talk about here at Burlington of celebration and community. 
that being in these kind of relationships are fantastic for unity and momentum and sensing God's presence and being encouraged and sent out into the week. But these moments are not quite so good for building the depths of relationships that Jesus modeled, which is why the tables are quite cool, aren't they? Because they create an opportunity for us to relate at a different level, to relate in a different way. And so we see Jesus again and again trying to move away from the busyness of the crowds in order to focus in on those core relationships. And it's not that these kind of celebrations are wrong. The Bible loves them and we love them. Think about when Joshua gathered the people together at Shechem, when Ezra gathered the people together for a time of renewal and revival. Think about when Jesus went up to the feast and spoke, the Bible says, on the last and greatest day of the feast and said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Great moments. But nevertheless, those great moments where everyone joins in together, are fueled and energized and held together by these smaller relationships. It's interesting, isn't it, that when Jesus went up to the feast of Passover as a young boy, he went with his community. They traveled together to the big celebration. There was community and celebration. And uh, unfortunately for Mary and Joseph, it was the biggest parenting fail you might imagine because they get halfway home and they realize they've left Jesus behind. And the reason they left Jesus behind is that they were in a community of people together traveling up and traveling, traveling back. And so we see all the time this kind of balance, this interplay that then gets uh, played out in acts of being in the temple courts, being in the big and being in the smaller group meeting from house to house. Which is why when Paul writes to the church in Rome, he writes and sends greetings as if they are a collection of smaller communities, which of course they were. Smaller communities create a big celebration. And so we are invited We're invited at different levels to be in these kinds of relationships. And that's why we've taken community life at Burlington so seriously over the last uh, however many years that is. Because we know that it's those relationships that are so important for discipleship and mission. If the truth of the gospel, if the truth of reality of discipleship is carried on the strength of relationships, then the depth of those relationships becomes really critical and important. And it's um, been encouraging, interesting, challenging, maybe not surprising, but joyful. But as I thought about the last year in the way that we've changed this space here, and occasionally we sat around tables like this, when someone says to me, what's the highlight or what are the highlights of this last year? One of those highlights will be the stories I've heard of things that have happened around the tables that never would have happened when we were in rows. It's not that rows and tables make the difference, but the relationships that it creates makes the difference. You with me? And that's really important. And we need to capture something of that. And we want to do all we can when we gather in the big to model the kind of things that we want to see replicated throughout our whole church family, which is why pausing this morning, eating a little bit together, it's just a token, it's just a moment, it's just 10 minutes, but it gives us a sense of, hey, this is, this is what we're about. It captures something of who we are as the people of God. There's one last 
kind of grouping, isn't there? If we think about the those verses that uh, John read to us, Jesus went up the mountain to pray, focused on his up relationship with God. Jesus then called the 12 disciples around him, what we call our in relationship, our community relationships. And then together they went out on mission to uh, the crowds. Church has always had an interesting relationship with the crowds. I don't mean our church, I just mean church generally. Because we love the crowds. And there's nothing in a way more thrilling than when the place is packed out for one reason or another. And I think more uh, or increasingly as the church has become marginalised from the rest of society, we become even more encouraged when a large number of people gather uh, together. But Jesus was quite ambivalent uh, about crowds. For Jesus, the crowds often got in the way. In fact, I counted uh, 11 verses in the, uh, in the Gospels where Jesus is kind of a little irritated by the crowds because they're stopping, in, from his perspective, the uh, movement that he's trying to ignite. Jesus fed the crowds, but then he sent them away. Jesus would try and avoid the crowds and never do we see him gathering crowds. In fact, maybe that's uh, indicative of what we saw the last century when the church grew fastest in places where crowds were not allowed to gather, China being the most obvious example of that. And so I think the crowds in the gospel have become an illusion for us. We think of Jesus spending most of his time with them, but actually... Something different is going on. This is where I want us to land this morning and, and where it all connects up, I think. The primacy of relationship with God, the primary relationships with others, and then with the crowd, Jesus even then prioritizes individuals. Jesus doesn't fall for the allure of the crowd. But what he does is see people in the crowd. You with me? Here's what I found. Oh, Siri's with me, if no one else is. <laughs> Think of the stories. Almost every story is about Jesus seeing someone in the crowd. It's easy to get transfixed by the crowd, but Jesus saw someone in the crowd. And almost every story is about him seeing someone in the crowd. The leper, the blind man, the widow, the paralytic, Zacchaeus, Matthew the tax collector, a religious leader, a woman caught in adultery. Jesus is never distracted by the crowds, but has clarity about individuals. And we can take that two ways. Just for an aside this morning, that's a very useful perspective for us when we think about mission and discipleship. When you see the whole of your neighborhood, who is the individual or individuals that God's inviting you to see? Everyone in your workplace, but who's the one or two that God's inviting you to see? Everyone in your school, who's the one or two? Class, well, you can see the principle. Where is Jesus inviting us to see? But I want to turn that around and end where we began. Do you believe that Jesus sees you in the crowd? 
that Jesus sees you in the crowd. Think about that for a moment. Think about some of those lies that we so easily embrace. Jesus does that for them, but I'm not sure he'll ever do that for me. Jesus notices them, but I'm not sure he notices me. Just imagine for a moment that Jesus comes into this room in a physical way. He's here, of course. Where do you imagine him going if he walked through those glass doors? And where you imagine him going says something about the way that you feel, the way that you think, says something about what you believe. And it might be to oversimplify it, but I doubt many of us imagine Jesus coming straight to us. But that's the message of the gospel. That's the revelation of the heart of God. So let's rewind for a moment. Do you imagine Jesus coming coming through those glass doors? I know he's much bigger, more majestic, more glorious. But imagine that for a moment. Jesus came to our size, to our level, so that we could respond to him. So imagine that he's come our size, our level. He comes in through those glass doors. But in this moment, he walks towards you. He comes to you. How's your heart responding? There may be a hundred and one reasons why you're suddenly anxious about that. But he keeps coming towards you. You're worried about 101 things that you fear he might say. But when he gets to being in front of you, what does he actually say? What does he actually do? 
We're going to be quiet for a few moments. And Holy Spirit, would you help us? Just invite you to meet with Jesus. I invite you to look into his eyes and see the depth of love that you encounter there. invite you to listen in to what you feel he has to say. And when there's time, when you sense that you've heard what he has to say, what do you want to say to him? What have you been longing to say, but never quite got round to it? What have you been longing to say, but never quite found the moment or the words? Maybe this is the moment. just pay attention pay attention to what you're feeling the things that are rising to the surface that it's time to offer to Jesus
Pay attention to the things that he's saying to you. If you're a visual person, then what, what's, what's Jesus doing? What's his posture towards you? The band begins to play. There's no hurry for you to leave this particular moment. Join and sing or stay in his presence where you are. Because do you know what? There might be a crowd. But Jesus comes to you in the crowd. And he calls out your name. And he bids you come. And it might feel like he's so busy. He's on the way to raise someone from the dead, for goodness sake. But he's still got time to stop. Because he's got time for you.